And as I've been telling you for weeks, guys, Clay Helton and T. Martin, they, they know what they're doing. Welcome in to Sunday Night Edition of the Trojan Sports Podcast. A winning feel kicks off right now. No, no, I don't know. You said it. Cock-a-doodle-doo, Bob. Oh, yeah. Direct from Rivals in Yahoo Sports. This, this is the Trojansports.com podcast. For a USC with Trojan Sports Publisher, Chris P. Swanson. Move it on. You, you better cut that out, man. I swear. That better, I better not hear that on the podcast. You mean right? about the him doing that? Yeah, we broke down. The, the, okay. Beat reporter, Adam J. Maya. Here we go. Yeah. Message board. We start Marvin yeah. And yes. And yes. Your host, our very own Ron Burgundy. You stay classy, San Diego. Reading whatever is on the prompter. Defense is Sua Adori Chalk by the end of the not year, not by the way. Chalk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said I'll, I'll just read whatever it says, baby. I know. Chris Morales. It's a touchdown. It's the weekly radio show you need for everything USC. Is that your first joke? Follow Trojansports.com on Twitter at USC underscore rivals. The Trojansports.com podcast kicks off now. Here is your host from the Yahoo Sports headquarters in Playa Vista, Chris Morales. They'll go to the left side. Darnold will wind that way. Back of the end zone. All alone. Juju Smith-Schuster. Somebody forgot to guard the man. And that's a bad idea as Juju is waiting all alone. Gathers it in and scores a Trojan touchdown. As the man says, welcome into the TrojanSports.com podcast. Sunday night, a new month, October 2nd, 2016. Means Adam Maya is looking for his Halloween costume. That of a preacher man. Well, Chris Swanson will go as his usual costume himself. Gentlemen, happy Sunday night. A win on the books and a nice win over ASU last night at the Coliseum. Feels good. Even though we've been knocking Clay Helton, and even though there was probably a, a, a little bit of all of us that maybe wanted to see him lose just to see what would happen, very nice to see a big, big win. Chris Swanson, were you excited? <laughs> yeah, I was. Um, you know, I, I, got, Liar. <laughs> I got done shopping for my Halloween costume, which is a white van. Um, as you know, that's my that's my yearly costume. I but there's I many ways that jokes can go, but the joke can go. But okay, I just had to throw it in there. Thank um, you. Yeah, so I got back in time. Um, you know, see the game. I I was blown away. Um, I felt like I was in a bizarro world, honestly. Um, not because of the offense. I thought that USC could score on Arizona State, um, even in my prediction, which I predicted Arizona State to win. I, I thought it'd be a high-scoring game. I thought USC would score a lot. Sam Darnold obviously impressed me, but the defense really impressed me um, because it didn't seem like it was business as usual. They did do a lot of nickels still, but it seemed like things were changed up. Uh, there was pressure coming from all over all different angles. It seemed like guys were rotating in. We saw new faces. During the week, they were talking about more pressure. Uh, I didn't really believe it. I thought that was just kind of the typical, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to pressure them. more kind of BS you hear from, from players before games or whatever and coaches before games. But they really did. They, they brought the pressure. I know it's Arizona State. So I'm kind of reserving judgment a little bit, but the defense I thought was incredibly impressive. Um, I didn't expect USC to be able to stop Arizona State at all, and you know they came out uh, and uh, really did some different things and some things I didn't expect to see, and some things I really had hoped to see from them all season. And, and it's good that it's happening now, but 
huge performance for the USC defense. I felt like I was incredibly impressed, and that's what jumped out to me. USC offense was looked great too, but against Arizona State, it seemed like they did what they were supposed to. USC defense really looked uh, quality, high caliber, and I, I didn't expect that out of them because I didn't think that they were that this year. 41-20 is the final. USC pummels Arizona State. Manny Wilkins, the Arizona State uh, quarterback, went out hurt. I don't think that really mattered because they didn't really have an answer for USC early on. Um, I, by the way, Adam, I, I want your thoughts, but first I want your thoughts on those those uniforms for Arizona State. I mean, they look like welfare kids compared to USC. They can't, they can't get Adidas to throw in some extra money or something? Those are some I, bad I uniforms. For that. I mean, they looked, they looked horrible. I've always felt like they were the like the USC hand-me-downs. Uh, their, their color scheme and the, the way the jerseys are trimmed and everything. That was horrible. It's just like a, a knockoff. Yeah, it, was, it looked like a Kirkland version of USC. What about oh, the oh, four? Oh, let's not knock Kirkland, by the way. Actually, I, I've come around on Kirkland, <laughs> and I probably have more of it in my uh, in my house than I would like to admit. Adam, I dropping Kirkland come bombs early. Come on. You go back. You go back, man. I know what you meant. Go ahead, Chris. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to point out that that fork sign they do too is like a fight on with an extra finger. It feels like to me. So it's a devil. It's a, a devil thing. Uh, uh, Adam, go ahead. Thoughts on the, what? Game. On the <laughs> thoughts on the game. Oh, opening we're thoughts. done with the jersey. Okay. Yeah, opening thoughts. Yeah, I, I have a lot, but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback on what Chris is saying because we know the ASU isn't like a top ten team, but they were putting up fifty points a game. And and typically with a Pac-12 team, even if you know they, they get to the meat of their schedule and they may they may not keep up their averages, they might still put up 35, 40 points uh, any given week. Well, this ASU team had not even been held scoreless in any quarter of the entire year, and USC shut them out in both the second and the third quarters of the game. They. The Sun Devils only had about 300 yards. They were uh, they were held to 151 less than their previous low. And, of course, they finished with 20 points, but really with six points until the game was well decided and they ended up scoring a couple touchdowns late in the fourth quarter. So this was, I think, a really important game for USC. Um they probably should win. They were favored. They did win, even though some of us are surprised. Some of us lost a lot of money. I won't name any names, Chris. <laughs> but I think it still matters. Wow. Because wow. this team needed to get some confidence back. I think that uh, coming into the game, being one and three, I looked it up and USC hadn't been under 500 since the year 2000. I mean, excuse me, 2001, Pete Carroll's first year. And they'd only spent a couple weeks between 2001 and this season at 500. So to be one in three, I think, had the chance to, to become a catastrophe or a claycastrophe, as I, I read someone right, someone on their board, someone a lot smarter than me. But, um, but this was just important to... to right the ship and I don't think it means that they're going to win out but we're seeing what USC is capable of and I look at the schedule and I always felt like October was the time where they could really go on a run and I'm not willing to commit to one yet 
but I think they can beat any team on their schedule at the same time if they don't come to play. They could lose any team on their schedule. So you never really know what you're going to get with USC. Coming into the game, I actually didn't make an official prediction because uh, it will for a few different reasons. But uh, more importantly, I just didn't even know what was going to happen. I, I told a buddy of mine that I could see them getting blown out. I could see them blowing out ASU. And so I guess my gut would be that it would probably be a tight game. I did not see this coming. I did not see a 41-6 lead in the middle of the fourth quarter. This was, I think, their their best performance against a uh, a Power 5 team since last year when they played ASU. And I think they were up 28 nothing at the half in that game and they ended up winning 42-14. But we, we just haven't seen a lot of games like this where they were dominant in all three phases in a long time at USC. Chris Swanson, did you notice going into the second quarter when they decided to kick the field goal, the 46-yard field goal, they put him up 27-6. Juju was out on the field, and he was ready to go for it on fourth down. And he did an amazing face and just body movement when you could tell he was told, get off the field, run off for the field goal. It was awesome. Because I felt, too, like, why are we going for a field goal? We're up 24-6. Why not just go for it? I don't know exactly, Adam, you might remember. I think it was like fourth and mm-hmm. six, fourth and five, something like that. It was just like, oh, really? We got to kick a field goal? Come on, guys. It was just some, Juju's expression and body expression on the side. He was, uh, uh, you know, winding up like they were going to go for it. It was amazing. It was actually fourth and two. Four, was it fourth and two? Yeah, and oh, they were okay. at the ASU 28-yard line. Okay. We're, we're still seeing the, the rookie in Clay Helton, I feel like. So you bring up that instance where USC had been rolling and they scored on four consecutive possessions in that second quarter, um, this last one being the field goal that you mentioned. And uh, but then early in the game, really early, the, the opening drive for USC, they're at fourth and two at their own 42, and they've just given up a field goal. So they're down 3 nothing, and they go for it. And it's really strange. I, I no, felt that like that was the one Juju caught right out of the gate, right? No, no, no. This is where they they had a, a, a loss of four yards. Oh. Justin Davis, okay, fourth and two. But um, I felt like Clay went for it because of all the backlash he had gotten for not going for it twice in the Utah game in the fourth quarter, and also of course versus Stanford when they were down by seventeen points in the fourth quarter. Well, this is the first quarter, and you're losing, and your team has had a rough go for an entire month, and uh, they, they ran the ball on third and two for no gain, and that play looked telegraphed. I, I thought that was, uh, I don't know, I, I didn't love it, but it's third and two, and so, okay, they, they run, no gain, and then same personnel, and they, they hand the ball back to Justin, and he got caught for a loss of four. And uh, you saw it all over Twitter because now it's becoming a thing where, where no one really thought they should have gone for it because you gave ASU a short field and you're dealing with a really, really dynamic offense. And you might be down 10 to nothing within seven minutes of the opening kickoff. And uh, I, I think that play by Jonathan Lockett turned around the whole game. 
And it'll get forgotten because they ended up, you know, USC went on to score 41 points. But I don't know how this game plays out if Lockett does not make that interception in the end zone and USC falls behind 10 nothing. You know, I, I think that particular conversion, the one early in the game on the wrong side of the field going for it on a fourth down, showed me something that, you know, and I hate to bag on the coaches when, you know, it's one of the best performances I've seen USC have in the last year. Uh, but that decision concerns me because it makes me feel like Clay Helton doesn't know why people, you know, didn't like his decisions to punt in the last two games. He didn't get it and he just went for it randomly because he thought that that's what people would want. That's really what I took away from it. That concerns me a little bit because that was really, that was a weird time uh, to go for it, a bad situation to go for it. Um, I didn't like it at all. I want to talk about a couple other, uh, few other decisions though that I think that we're seeing were bad early in the year. You mentioned Jonathan Lockett. There are a few other players that also, you know, made big plays in this game or uh, or played in this game, were rotated in. Um, you saw Chris Hawkins, who had recently been demoted, make a, make a lot of plays. Um, I thought the offensive line without Zach Banner, giving some other people a chance, actually ended up performing very well. I thought it was questionable early, but some of these other guys that got in, I thought ended up performing well. I think you saw USC rotate a bit more in this game. Oh, yeah. Um, and it worked. It mm-hmm. worked, and it's something that USC should have been doing from the beginning. Um, so to me, that was just that's that's even though that's like a smart decision in this game, it's a big glaring issue for me uh, with the staff. Is is yes, of course, there's other players that can make plays on this roster. There's no question in my mind, and they're not playing. So yeah, I'm glad that they figured it out. But I have to question, you know, just like I'm questioning clay helton's fourth down where it's like i'm glad you figured out be aggressive with this offense but it was at the time question why this didn't happen earlier with these rotations and i also have to question the quarterback uh situation and i don't know if you want to get into that now or uh adam or if you want to touch a little bit on on the other rotations but i think that again after this performance uh we have to go back to this decision about the quarterback uh, at the beginning of the year to name Max Brown and then, of course, to switch to Sam Darnold. So I'll let you uh, decide where to go. I enjoyed the Max Brown appearance, by the way, at the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Max. I feel for him still. But it's apparent that Darnold is a lot better. And we saw that in practice. It was no secret. Kimarin again alluded to it this past week uh, before this game. And he said, you know, we, we, we saw how good Darnold was in practice, but you just don't know what it will look like in a game. And uh, he, he was just saying that with respect to whether he was surprised about how well he had played in his first start versus Utah. But as we understand it, T. Martin did vouch for Sam Darnold to be the starter at the beginning of the year. And... Chris and I talked about this. I'll just kind of put it out there. Clay Helton is uh, not only the head coach, but he was the quarterback's coach. He was the offensive coordinator. He was a quarterback. And so for him to not identify the best quarterback before this season 
or at least go with the guy who had outplayed the other guy. I mean, because ultimately, uh, you didn't know how either one would do, right? I mean, neither really played. So I understand that end of it, that maybe you want to play both or you're just not sure and if you are just going to throw both out there. But he really committed to Max before the season and led Max to believe that he would be the quarterback for the duration of the season. Uh, Clay Hill can actually use the term years. That he, he was hoping that he was picking their quarterback for the next couple years. When in nearly every practice in training camp and many in spring, it was apparent in just what you can get from practice that Sam Darnold was superior. And now we're watching him and through two games, he's had a debut better than all of his predecessors. You know, and I, now the records really go back just to Palmer and, and that's not where USC history begins. And, uh, you know, not with quarterbacks either. I, they've had many before him that were very good. But if you just look at the last 20 years and we're talking about Palmer and Liner and Booty and Sanchez and Barkley and yes, Cody Kessler. Darnold has started out better than all of them. None of them played like the way he has in their opening two starts. I mean, he's breaking records in these games. And so it makes you wonder about the decision-making and the judgment and, and really Clay's handle on, on personnel and the team in general. So, Adam, let's talk about that for a second, because you were there. You watched all through training camp. While we were all somewhat surprised, and you guys were especially because you saw it every day, what was it? What was it about Max Brown that, that not to go into the conspiracy theory that Chris once posed, but what was it that you that you think he saw that made him make that decision? I, don't, I, don't, I think what he saw was that Darnold was better, but not, like, overwhelmingly better, and therefore the tie went to the junior. Okay, that could make sense. Chris? I agree with that. And that's why I'm about to go into a, a little segment about Max Brown before I get back into Sam Darnold, if you'll allow it. Cue, this the, is uh, to... cue the George Michael Max Brown music. Yeah. Perfect. This is, this is so sad to me because I feel like Max... I agree, Sam Darnold's better. I, I felt that way, as Adam did after fall camp. I was surprised when they picked Max Brown for many reasons. Um, but I just feel like he would have torn up uh, Arizona State, too. You know, he would have looked really good against them, too. It's just sad because I just think of, you know, USC quarterbacks in the past. I think of the conversation I had with you, Chris Morales, earlier about how, you know, everyone's good on the roster. If you're a quarterback at USC, you're probably good. Um, there's always going to be that debate who's better, who's better. I think of Booty and Sanchez, right? Everybody debated who was better while Booty was the quarterback. If they had, you know, thrown Sanchez in, maybe he would have had some games where he looks great and people would have said, oh, good thing they, they threw away John David Booty and they would have ruined his career. So don't know why this happened. It's sad. Um, I agree that Sam Darnold's better. It's sad to me that this decision didn't happen early um, because it was so obvious and it, and it makes me wonder about Clay Helton. I, I just don't get it. I don't, I don't get 
how it was handled. I don't get why it happened this way. And, you know, it, it had a negative effect, I, I think, on the team. It might have cost them an extra game, at least one. It might ca- cost them extra games in the future because you didn't let Sam Darnold develop against some of the tough, tougher defenses in the conference. And you also really threw Max Brown under the bus. I just I keep coming back to that. So Well, you know why it happened. Because Max Brown had been there for three years. And Clay didn't feel good about not giving him his chance. But if he had given him his chance, he he would have performed well against some of these defenses that aren't as good as the Alabamas and the Stanfords. It would have it would have happened and Utah is a very good defense. I, yeah, okay. And, and Darnold yeah. killed him. Yeah, Chris, um, I mean I get your point, but I almost have to disagree with you here because Max Brown, it was almost like the, the Jared Goff thing. I'm not saying that Max Brown's not a great quarterback with skill set and, and knowing how to run it in practice and training camp. But in the game, and yeah, playing Alabama is a tough comparison, playing Stanford even. But, I mean, Stanford just got destroyed by Washington. I mean, Max Brown looked, not con- I don't know, confused, but he didn't know when to move. He didn't know how to get the ball into Juju's hands. I mean, there was a problem going on. Sam Darnold this knows is, how to move. This is why I, I hate what happened is because – it has given credit to this, so much credit to this. Well, Sam Darnold's obviously better than that guy. Argument: We don't know what would have happened if Sam Darnold played Alabama and Stanford, and we don't no, know don't. what would have happened if Max Brown played Utah and Arizona State. We just don't. They're both good quarterbacks. We know that. Well, we, we don't know that this... Brown's a good quarterback. We we know that he could be a good quarterback. Okay. We we already know that Darnold's a good quarterback after two games. That's apparent. Two games against very different competition. No, Utah's not very different competition. Then you keep Alabama? lumping them in with ASU. No, then Stanford. We They're don't not know. That we don't know yet. What do we don't know? What don't we know? U- Utah just lost to Cal. Yeah. So I mean, like we don't know these things. Right. We don't know Stanford how good they are. Blasted, and they barely beat UCLA. Okay. So they're good. I, but, I I think Stanford's very good, but I don't. You, you know that they're not worlds apart from Utah. They're comparable, and the way that Darnold and Brown played against Utah and Stanford respectively was not comparable. There are a number of things that have changed overnight with Sam Darnold. Look at the receivers; they look better. The offensive line looks better. Therefore, the running game looks better. It's not a coincidence that Juju just broke out in back-to-back games with one quarterback when he could do nothing with the other. It's not a coincidence that Justin Davis, who ran for two yards versus Alabama, ran for 120 yards in back-to-back games with Sam Darnold at quarterback. These are all things that were activated by Darnold. I agree that Darnold's better. I completely disagree with how far you're taking it. I do, and I think it's sad that Max Brown is now being – you know, brought up as a kind of a average to cruddy quarterback. He, no, he, he's staff, still unknown. He's not, he, I, I, I he, call him average. You know, I well, said he could be can good. Can I just say that if he had a good staff, they would figure out how to put an offense around a former five-star quarterback and make him look good. I'm sorry. Okay. But it's it's true. Like, it's very but, true. It's but Darnold, with that, with that mediocre staff that you're calling them? Because they know how to run – they know how to run an offense that fits him. They don't know how to run anything that fits Max Brown, so they can't do it, and it doesn't happen. So they, it's good then that Darnold's playing right now, and, and Brown's not there. Yeah, they should have picked him before the season. I completely agree with all this stuff. I'm just saying, if you pick a quarterback, and he's well, as good as Max Brown talk, is, how, how many weeks are we going to talk about this? 
Well, we're gonna milk it for as long as we could. I just it's no one cares ridiculous. like you do. Like it's, even it's Max's dad is like, can we talk about something else? <laughs> uh, but I just, think Max, I think Max's dad is probably looking for somebody on the coaching staff with a weapon or something. That's how I to, would feel if I just to it. pull the NFL analogy one more time because that is my main business. Jared Goff was the number one pick in the NFL draft. He played at Cal. Okay, before if you were to say him or Carson Wentz played at North Dakota State. Who would be better in the NFL, considering who Cal faces versus who North Dakota State faces? We would all say, and obviously Jeff Fisher and Sam Snead agreed, well, Jared Goff. But yet when you put Jared Goff in a game, he looks like he doesn't know what's going on. Carson Wentz is lighting it up thus far as a quarterback. Playmaker. People are are talking about, oh, my God, his poise and his maturity off the field. Oh, it's incredible. And you're thinking, North Dakota State? Who the heck have they ever played? It's just a thing. Excuse me. On paper, you're absolutely right, Chris. Max Brown should be there. But in the game, he didn't have that thing. We we always talk about that thing. And Clay Held still doesn't have that thing, by the way. But but Max Brown definitely did not have that thing. It was obvious. It's obvious. Now, Sam Darnold looks like an extra from, like, Ferris Bueller's day off. But he's got it on the field. You know, I'm going to let it go. Speaking to USC quarterbacks, Cody Kessler with another good day in the NFL, Chris Watson. I know that might anger you. He was 28 for 40 for 223 yards and one touchdown in the Browns' 31-20 loss against the Redskins. And the Browns are just horrible. They actually fumbled on the last drive that they should have cleaned up the game and won the game. So, anyway, there you go. How do you feel about Cody Kessler? He didn't, he didn't get pulled after two games, so that's yeah. probably why he's in the NFL now. See? Maybe somebody was right. Maybe I was right when he was a third-round pick. You know what's funny about all this? Yes. Today, uh, tonight, Clay Helkin on his Sunday night teleconference said that if Darnold keeps working, he can be as good or better as Cody Kessler. Did he say also? On He's already better. <laughs> did he say, well, he's, uh, you know, did he say tonight on the call that if we keep working, we could one day be as good as the Colorado Buffs? In what fashion? Much like he did heading into the Stanford game. Oh, you mean them? Like I got you meant you and I. No, 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 no. Them. Okay. No, I was like doing a bit. Could, I was doing right. a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay, the Buffs, they could be as good in Colorado. One day. Uh, he was pretty measured about his remarks with Colorado. Okay. Well, what did he say exactly? Because that is the next game on the docket, which we're going to get into. Yeah, he thinks that they have an explosive offense. And, I mean... They're playing their best football in maybe a decade. That is true. They've won over the weekend 47-6 over Oregon State. Of course, the week before, 41-38 over Oregon, which was the shocker. And then they put up 28 against Michigan. Uh, that was at the Big House. So they lost 45-28, but still. To they were winning up, that game, too. Yeah, to put up 28 at the Big House, that's pretty impressive. I only wish there was a Boulder road trip happening, and Chris Swanson had a family relative. That you guys could stay with in Boulder. I remember the jokes, we, like, the jokes we made yeah, last year. I feel like if we were going to Boulder, Chris would have to drive. Okay. Like on principle. <laughs> That's a tough drive to Boulder, Colorado. That's a long drive. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes you just have to drive. If you know what I mean. I understand. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, so <laughs> we want to get into that game. Chris, you got an early prediction already? Yeah. Hell, yeah. Give me a tip. Yeah, I, 
Oh, well, I'm just. Are we gonna? Are we gonna talk about the last game <laughs> or what? Well, I feel like we we have, but I don't know if people want to. Do you want to? Do you want to get into negatives? People, I don't know if they want to hear negatives. I think we should talk about the quarterback. And we will get to the Colorado game in moments, including the early betting line. Might surprise you, considering Colorado's number 21 ranked, as is uh, right now. Anyway, but first, we still talk about USC and ASU. What this game means, a lot of people want to jump out, of course, on the boards and say, oh my God, we're going to win out, everything's going to be okay. Other people say, eh, not so fast. Chris Swanson, since you are the one that always keeps us honest, what do you think it means? Does this mean we could be a 500 team? We hope. Does this mean that we can actually win out? What does it mean? You know, I don't know what it means because I don't know what to think of this team anymore after this game because I felt like I knew what this team was and what they were going to do before this game uh, pretty much consistently. I, I thought that they were a team that was flawed in the, you know, on the defensive line, so they were going to run this kind of timid nickel defense. Uh, they ran a nickel against Arizona State, but it looked much more aggressive, much more uh, pressuring, a lot more blitzes. So that changes things for me. I feel like if they can do that to some of these other teams, they're going to be in a lot of these games that I didn't really expect them to be in. Um, the offense, I think, because of the change at quarterback and how the offense flows through him and how good he's been he's been performing in his first couple of games, I think I think it's changed things too. I think they have a dangerous offense now where before I thought that that offensive line really hurt them and really uh, kind of prevented them from, from doing the things that they should be doing. I think that the fact that Sam Darnold can't really, you know, get sacked uh, helps them. It helps their passing game downfield and it just helps their offense in general. You know, the, the option that he adds to things um, helps them as well. So I don't really know what to think of this team because uh, on top of all those things, the, the, the play calling, at least on the defensive side, has gone better. Uh, so I really do now think they could beat you know Colorado. They could win at Arizona. They could win at UCLA. All these games that kind of rode off for them before. I'm starting to think they could win because that wasn't the team that I saw uh, play Arizona State. You know the the team in the first you know few games, the team that went one and three uh, was a different team than that team that played Arizona State. Arizona State obviously doesn't have a good defense uh, outside their run defense. Um, their offense seems a little bit like it's manufactured. Um, that's not the perfect team to kind of, fi- you know, figure out what USC is against, but I didn't expect them to look like that. They looked way better than I expected them to. So now I'm starting to think, you know, a lot of these other Pac-12 teams that have flaws, USC might have a chance against them too. I, I still don't expect it to end, you know, incredibly well. I don't expect them to go on a huge win streak or anything like that, but I think they're in some of these games that I wrote off uh, before. Yeah, ASU is not a good measuring stick. I agree with that point. The hard part with USC is that if you're watching them every week, you're riding a big roller coaster. And I think if you would have asked yourself before the year, like we did, what's going to happen with each game? Just our prediction in August with each game. Most of us would have said, well, they're going to lose to Alabama. And they might lose badly. And then, but they ended up losing much worse than we thought. We, we, I don't know that anybody saw that coming. And then we would have said that they'll, they'll beat Utah State. And they'll probably beat them up pretty good. And they ended up winning by 38 points. So that played out basically how we thought, even though they might not have looked as good as you would have liked. 
Then Stanford, before the year. We're looking at that game. A lot of us figured that they would lose that game. Well, I think they lost that game. I think they were dominating. I think that they lost that game in worse fashion than we thought they would or should. So after between that and Alabama, the pendulum swings one way pretty severely. And now we're, we're jumping all these conclusions about how everything's going to play out. But if you keep, you know, keep with this exercise, Utah, we thought that was more of a 50-50 game. We thought that was a game that they could lose, and they could be 1-3. They might win that game. They might be 2-2. Two and two. Well, that, that's literally what happened. Now, obviously, you know, there was an actual game that was played, and they ended up throwing away a big lead, and so it made it look worse and feel worse. But just look at the final score, the, the end result, and they lost a tight game, a 50-50 game, which is what we thought that would be. Then ASU. We would have also got, they should win that game by a couple touchdowns. And they ended up winning by 20, even though they actually pulverized them, and they were up by 35 in the fourth quarter. So they played even better than we would have thought before the season, and obviously they played a lot better than we thought just a few days ago. So they're not that far off, if, if you get what I'm saying. They're not that far off from maybe how we would have pegged them just a month and a half ago. They're, they're about where we thought they would be, you know, three and two, two and three. And they're basically a play away from being three and two. They've looked a little worse in a couple of these games. Uh, they did look better, I think, than we would have expected versus ASU. So continuing on that, this Colorado game, Colorado looks a lot better than probably a lot of us figured they would be. But USC looks like they could be coming into their own. They have improved. If you just take the last three weeks, forget about Utah State and then even forget about Alabama. But they improved from Stanford to Utah and then Utah to ASU. And so if they follow on that plane then they should beat Colorado. I still look at it personally as closer to a 50-50 game. I would pick USC to win, but not something I feel super confident about. But they're, they're at home, and USC has just been a different team at home for a long time. Even under Clay Helton, they're 5-0, and and they're averaging... Uh, at 21 points per win in those five games. And that, that wasn't just, you know, a Utah State. That was also UCLA. That was Utah last year. And now this year, ASU, which came in undefeated. So I don't know why. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me why they, they would play so much better at home. But I, I think... It's really a matter of them being more affected by the elements when they're away from the Coliseum. And so I think the fact that they're going to play this budding Colorado team in their backyard uh, gives you hope that they'll play well again. And if they play well versus Colorado, given the talent disparity, they're going to win that game. 
You know, it, I think it would take a, a poor for performance to lose to Colorado. Colorado's not Stanford. It's not where you could play well versus Stanford and still lose. If you play well versus the, the Buffaloes, then you're going to win that game, especially at home. So you're saying they could be a problem in a few weeks in Tucson, is what you're saying? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Arizona's been an enigma as well. And I, I think we're seeing a lot of parity in the Pac-12, especially in the Pac-12 South. I don't think there's a great team in the division. So if we're talking long-term, USC can win this division. It, 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 they started out 0-2, now they're 1-2 in conference play, but it's far from over because it looks like Utah's going to drop a couple games. UCLA's going to drop a couple games. I don't see anybody going on this run and winning five games, USC included. I know a lot of people right now want to jump on that bandwagon and say that USC will sweep October and that they're going to be Oregon because Oregon isn't what they have been. But I think when you have this much parity, it means that you're going to lose games like USC did versus Utah, where it was a very winnable game and a game that they'll look back and probably feel like they they threw away and it might have cost them a division but you're also going to win probably a couple games like that where maybe you have to come back or you're being outplayed like they did last year you know they were being outplayed by arizona in the coliseum they came back and won they're being played at colorado they came back and won and so i think they can win a couple games like that i i don't think it's much different than last year you know i, I think that's really what we're seeing is that this team isn't that far from a year ago, which might be disappointing because ultimately you want to build and you want to improve upon the year before. And I don't think they're going to, but I think now people after a one and three start would take an eight win season. Well, you mentioned the Pac-12 South being an enigma. I think the entire Pac-12, I don't know if any of us would have thought the Washington Huskies, your Washington Huskies, number five right now on the AP poll. I don't know. Yeah, wait, why are they mine again? <laughs> I, I, no, it was more of a sports radio humor, like your okay, okay. Washington, not, yeah, not yeah. you specifically, just your. Yeah, I mean, if you want to give me credit for them, even though I, I can't really. <laughs> oh, Adam will take credit. Don't worry, he'll take credit for them. No, no, Washington's beatable. They they look beatable. I don't know that they're beatable for USC at Husky Stadium. I don't feel good about that game right now. Uh, they don't play them for another, I think, what, six weeks? So yep. uh, it doesn't really matter at November this point. November 12th yeah. at Husky Stadium. They they look beatable in general. I mean, they nearly got beat by Arizona in Tucson. So if, you can, if you're barely skating by the Wildcats, then you're beatable. Wait, what I want to ask you now, Adam, specifically, because you covered this team in the golden era for many of us, mm-hmm. and what we all remember. Chris Watson's golden era was the O.J. Simpson days, but that's a whole other thing. So, I loved that trial, especially <laughs> that verdict. Saturday looked like there were shades, just shades, of that old USC offense that we all loved, where we knew we were going to win. It was just a matter of how much were we going to win by. Now, none of us felt going into that game that there was a guarantee we would beat the Sun Devils. But we, right. f- we started to feel it. It started to feel like a Saturday night 
in 2004. It started to feel that way a little bit, a little reminiscent. And while maybe this doesn't mean that Clay Helton is the answer, that's a, that's a conversation for many weeks from now. Do you think we could be on to something? And you made this point in a tweet saying that this was when Carson Palmer never looked back, back in 1998. Could we be on to something finally? Yeah. I, I think that Sam Darnold will end up being an elite quarterback. I think that his skill set and the weapons that he has around them, I think overcome a lot of holes that USC might have or mistakes that they might be making. You know, we've been pretty critical of the play calling, but it's funny how good that play calling looks when he's playing. I don't know how different it was. And this is the point that Chris was making earlier, that they really didn't design this offense for Max Brown. They didn't put him in the best position to succeed. And I fully agree with that. But this offense is perfect for Sam Darnold. And he looks like he could do anything in it. So I think that the future is very bright with Darnold at quarterback. And I think when you have an offense that can put up 40 points a game, now they've, they've only done it once, so I'm, I'm not saying that this is what's next, but if you have an offense that, that can put up 40 points a game, then you can beat anybody. I mean, and I mean anybody. And this is why I even gave him a puncher's chance going into the Alabama game. I did. And you know, obviously it didn't play out that way because I expected even with Max Brown that this offense could be really explosive. And they don't even have Ronald Jones going yet. This is just with one running back and now, now Juju, you know, regained him Juju. But, uh, and we, we're seeing all the other receivers get involved and it's looking really good. Deontay Burnett had a career game and he looks like that potential number two receiver that we thought he might evolve into. But I think a lot of this comes back to Sam Darnold. I think we're just getting started with him. And uh, Matt Weinert on Saturday at, during halftime on the uh, Fox broadcast was giddy like a schoolgirl when the highlights came up. Even Dave Wonstadt was smirking at how giddy Matt Weinert was, feeling feeling the reminiscent nature. Chris Watson, I know you're going to say it's not quite there yet. We shouldn't be buying our Reggie Bush houses just yet. Nobody's going to give me anything on that joke? Anyway, uh, Chris Watson, how do you feel? <laughs> well, if the offense is, is showing... Signs of 2000. I I guess because they put up, you know, 40-something points on Arizona State. But USC did that last year, and USC wasn't good last year, and USC wasn't good on offense last year. So I would point out to you that in games not, not against teams named Arizona State or Utah State, USC's offense hasn't done much of anything at all. So... It's premature to bring that up. Uh, I think that that will happen. The offense will look like that, you know, that sort of era again. You know, some of those more explosive offenses, because there were times actually where the offense was not very good during Pete Carroll's years. 
if USC has that good defense again, if that defense uh, continues to take that jump that it looks like they did, because that's that's what impressed me. I'm going back to it again is, you know, I expected USC to score against Arizona State. If you told me USC scored 40-something against Arizona State going into that game, I would not have been surprised. I did not expect them to shut down that Arizona State offense the way they did. So I think that if USC's defense continues to hold explosive offenses down, you know, to, to six points, you know, midway through the fourth or in the third or, you know, 20 points in the entire game or whatever else, they'll have a chance um, because the offense will be in situations to score. They have enough explosive playmakers, but they'll make enough plays and, and be in it. It's that defense that really needs to take the jump, I think, to get USC back to that era. And I'm not entirely sold yet, but I was very impressed after that game against Arizona State with the defense. Offense looked good, but I expected that in this game. We made a point last week about how the offense and the defense often hurt each other in several instances uh, at the end of last year. And then in this year as well, you saw it versus Alabama, obviously, where the defense was holding and offense was killing the defense. And then the defense came apart. Well, and in the Stanford game, I think was the best example of it, where the offense couldn't get a first down, they couldn't move the ball, and the defense couldn't get off the field either. And they allowed you know, 295 rushing yards. Well, this game was an instance where you really saw the defense and the offense helping each other. And so that, there was a stretch here in uh, really between the first and third quarters where the offense in 9 of 11 possessions either scored a touchdown or made a field goal or attempted a field goal. They had two punts in these 11 possessions. The other nine were all scoring opportunities. Now, overlapping that, the defense held ASU without, without any points for 11 possessions, where ASU either punted or turned the ball over and down on 11 possessions. So that's obviously the recipe to, to winning, you know, with, without question. Um, I think what's promising for, from this game is that we'll see the offense carry the defense at times and vice versa. You need both. Your defense is going to have some bad games or a bad half, and the offense will as well. You really need both of them to show up and carry you at different points in the game. This game... It was synchronized, and that's how they went from a 3 nothing deficit to a 41-6 lead. It's a lot like what happened only the other way around with Alabama, where it was 3 nothing and then 52-3, or whatever it was. Um, I think it was 52-6, but um, they scored 52 out of 55 points because they were dominating on both sides. So we hadn't really seen a lot of that, but a sustained dominance from either side of the ball. And this game, we saw both. Now, there are a lot of average defenses in the Pac-12. And that's why I think what the offense did really matters because they're not going to play Stanford again unless they face them in the Pac-12 title game. And outside of UCLA and Washington, 
I don't know that they're going to play another good defense. Right? So, it, it really, it gives you hope that, that they can win any of those games. Because I think their offense is always going to be there with Sam Donald at quarterback. And I think the defense has actually been a bit underrated this season. I even think back to the Utah game. I, I thought about this over the weekend and how the defense, you know, they squandered the 14-point the lead in the fourth quarter. But we kind of forget that in the first half, USC turned the ball over on three straight possessions and held Utah to just 10 points, even though they were on the field for 12 minutes in the first quarter and, you know, for about, I think, 20 minutes in the first half. And so by that fourth quarter, they were really worn down. But they, they shouldn't have been at that point, and they wouldn't have been at that point if it weren't for the turnovers. And so the defense actually played really well in that Utah game for about two and a half quarters. And then, you know, they hit their limit. But um, they've outplayed the offense for most of the season. And, and now we're seeing the offense and, and so many things clicking it looks like the entire team is trending in the right direction. And I, I want to give a quick shout-out to the special teams. They've actually been good the entire year. We don't talk about them enough, but they've done their part in, in pretty much in every game. And uh, and they matter as well. And, and that's that's something that USC wasn't getting the last couple of years. So um, that that's also, I think, a way to, to win a 50-50 game. And so in a game like Utah where they did only score 20 points, uh, they did get that, that kickoff return from Adore. And, uh, you know, they're, they're getting a, a number of plays like that um, on special teams that are going to matter. Matt Bormeister, Matt Bormeister, I should say, has been really, really good. Um, he is now, I think, 7 of 9? No, 8 of 11 on field goals this season and 6 of 8 from 40-plus. And so USC hasn't had that since, I would say, Andre Higari's freshman year, which is, I think, 2010 or 11, 2011. So. Drew Krinsky starting fire on the board right now by asking the question, what if USC wins out for the rest of the season? <sighs> yeah, I wish you would Drew, you just had to do it, didn't you? And, of course, if you're not a premium subscriber and you can't go out on there and bash Drew Scullin, uh, <laughs> you should be. Simply I can give you his number. At Trojansports.com. Cheaper than two cups of Starbucks coffee, which I'll be having a lot of this week. Uh, Chris Swanson. Yes. You've been critical on the O-line. The O-line did look to improve, obviously, on Saturday. But then you were critical last week on the D-line. And against a team that had been a team that had grinded it out, that had scored uh, double-digit deficit comebacks in the second half two weeks in a row in Arizona State... The running game seemed to not be able to get past our D-line. Was it just a bad running game when all was said and done, or did our D-line make improvements? I think it was the play calling on the defense because um, I'm not willing to say that the the defensive line is all of a sudden a strength for USC or something like that because I, I did see them playing a lot of nickel. I still see them using a lot of you know only at two defensive linemen at a time. I think that's going to be a problem against a lot of teams. I think that you can't get around that. I think in this particular game, the way they called the defense uh, was very smart and worked out well in their favor. I think they created pressure 
from all sorts of different areas. I thought they did hold well in the trenches. I was impressed with the two outside linebackers who I usually feel like are overmatched uh, just because there's not enough help down down there with them in terms of a defensive line. I thought they both uh, did very well too. So I'm, I'm kind of chalking that up to um, Arizona State's offensive line being an easier matchup for them and an improved play calling on defense. I still think that if USC goes up against some of these other teams in the Pac-12 that you know that might have uh, bigger, nastier offensive lines, it, it might cause issues for them because I saw them have issues, you know, in, in many other games uh, up front defensively. So I'm not sold yet, but yeah, it, it they looked really good against Arizona State in really every phase of the game. So I can't knock them after that game for anything. Yeah, play, play calling was a big deal. I found it refreshing just to see the defensive front playing on the opponent's side of the field. I just felt like, especially in that Stanford game and also in that Utah game, there was no pressure. There was no penetration. And uh, it looked like like they were conceding a few yards on every play really before that play began or before that play had developed. And with ASU, we saw a handful of defensive linemen and outside linebackers really making a home in the Arizona State backfield. And so, yeah, I I still think that, uh, as Chris mentioned, they, they got to figure this nickel defense out because if they live in it, it's going to be hard to put pressure on the quarterback. But uh, they did blitz more in this game than they had all year, and it worked for them. I thought the timing of their blitzes was much improved. Coming into that game, they were allowing nearly nine yards of play when they blitzed, which is extraordinarily bad. And obviously that wasn't the case versus ASU. But guys like Rasheem Green and Stewie Tui Kolovatu they might not win their one-on-ones as much as you like, so they need help. And I felt like, you know, while, you know, they've, they've done fine, they got a lot of help. And there's no shame in that. They just need help. There's only two of them. It could be Jarrell Casey and Leonard Williams. Look, if you're only rushing two defensive linemen and you're dealing with, you know, a max protect or even just, you know, five it's really hard to to make an imprint. So I I just felt like their approach was so much different in this game, and it kind of makes you wonder where that's been at and and why they didn't defend Stanford differently, even though they were running a lot, Um, and and Utah as well. So, you know, I'm not ready yet either to, to just say that their defensive line issues are fixed. But I thought they were excellent in this game. The, the entire defensive front, really. Very good. <clears throat> All right, how about we uh, shortly or quickly get into a little bit of the uh, Colorado game? Obviously, we'll have more podcasts during the week about it. But Saturday afternoon, early game, 1 o'clock at the Coliseum against those Buffaloes that have been a little bit hotter than maybe uh, many of us would have predicted. Chris Swanson, I will begin with you. Yeah, Colorado has been really impressive to me. I'm impressed with their coaching staff. I'm impressed with everything they've done. Um, 
before USC played Arizona State, I would have thought Colorado would have beat USC by maybe four touchdowns. Honestly, I, twenty-eight I thought, points. Yeah, I, I honestly, before USC played Arizona State, I would have thought Colorado would have just absolutely destroyed USC. I appreciate just, your honesty and just blown them off the map and had no problem with them whatsoever. I'm going to pick USC now because I don't know what to do with this USC team. <laughs> this no, it's the way that game was called was perfect, and they've never done anything like that before. Honestly, this coach is so. So I'm assuming that they'll continue to adapt to their roster, call things better, rotate guys, and continue to do these things that I saw against Arizona State. And I think if they do that, they're, you know, maybe the best team in the Pac-12 South. I think that that's a game that, you know, Colorado, who's leading the division, you go on the road and you lose that game and you still fight for the division league because I don't, I don't think anybody's going to run away with this division. I don't see Colorado running away with this division. So I think this this is the type of game that you lose. You know, you go on the road, it's a tough atmosphere against a talented team. So I, I'm fully in the camp if USC is going to win this game and it's going to, you know, get themselves back in the conversation of a division title and and really change the conversation of the season, get people excited again. We're going to see the Sunshine Pumpers out in full force on the message board, in my prediction. Because uh, I, I think that uh, after this this week, USC is going to perform in a way that is going to get people talking like a, it's a potential turnaround this year. That's just my opinion. Chris Watson saying a tw- at least a 28-point swing has now happened. But I guess <laughs> yeah, it would have to be more week. like a 35 or 42-point swing to win. One so. week. I, but, hey, I'm telling you, I'm picking USC to win, so you got to be happy with me, right? The spread is five, five and a half, favorite to uh, USC even though Colorado's ranked, which shouldn't be surprising considering how USC performed. Adam Maya, will there be a, a real prediction this time in the Maya tenfold at the end of the week? Uh, or too I don't early know. to call? Yeah. <laughs> Adam doesn't like predictions because then he, you know, he can be held accountable for what he said. Uh, easy now. That's a good point, but easy now. Easy. Uh, I, can, uh, I can talk about the game. I've already talked about it some, but... I think that because Colorado's been playing so well early in the year, they're going to have USC's respect in a way that they ordinarily don't. And so this game being a Coliseum, I think USC's going to win. I don't, I don't think it's a, a trap game. I think it's just a game that will be really competitive. And I think USC both – their coach and their players know that they can't afford to lose. And there's something about that when you know that if we lose, something bad might happen. And so I just feel like they're going to be ready for this game. And while they, they probably need to win nearly every game for there not to be a change at the top with the head coach, it's hard to to maintain that for two months. So um, while they're going to give what they give everything they can to to win each game, um, it's going to be it's going to be tough to to really hold on to that. I just feel like right now they were one and three, they're two and three, and they'll get back to five hundred. Because two and four and losing a home game to Colorado 
just would would be a disaster. We're still on the edge of disaster. What? Are we still on the edge of disaster then? Is that is that where we are on this spectrum, this USC football spectrum? Well, they'd be two and four, right? I mean... Well, but I just want to know what I'm looking forward to if they lose. Is it, <laughs> It's a disaster then. That's what I you want, to, huh? Well, I just want to know if they lose. I don't, I, you know, I want to yeah. know that I'm in a disaster and that, you know, yeah, it would, that way. That's all. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Yeah, it would, it would be a disaster. But Morales, right? It, it would if be... If they lost... Yeah. You know, I think I think it would be a disaster, but I think it'd be less a disaster if they would have lost Arizona State, honestly. I think I think Saturday was more of a must win where I think if they would have lost and lost badly to the yeah. Sun Devils, I agree. people would have said, Why hasn't he been fired? And that would have been the topic all week. Now that they won that, they need to win Colorado. But if it was a tight game, I think at least people would still feel Okay, we would simply go back to Helen should be fired at the end of the season versus why wasn't he fired at the tarmac? You know what I mean? I, I'm curious for both of you. I'd like you to answer. Is there anything that he could do that would justify keeping him in your eyes? If he wins out, he uh, depending on the, how the rest of the Pac-12 South goes, but if he wins out and Sam Darnold continues to perform, I think it'll be hard-pressed to get rid of him. Might have been hard-pressed well, yeah, to get rid of him it, anyway. If they were 9-3, then he's not going anywhere. Nothing's yeah. happening. Well, if he wins out, he's going to the Rose Bowl and winning it, yeah. I think. Because you'd, you'd probably get into the back 12, you know, that championship game at 9-3. and three, You know. You would. Probably, yeah. For sure. you're winning that and winning. So, but I'm about there. I think he's got to get in and win it, honestly. Because... Um, the division's wide open enough that you know if they get in with a sim like an eight and four record, although I guess that would mean that they went on a big run, right? Is that really good yeah. enough? Is that really USC football? You know, to get into the Pac-12 title game, and lose it? Is that is that you know that that just shows that they're exactly where they were last year? And I and I thought that part of the reason you know Clay Helton was brought back and some of the coaching staff was brought back is because this year, you know, they were supposed to make a run. I thought that that was at you know least what? what they, they I'm glad you said them. that. I, I feel like that wasn't even the objective. And I, I know it should be. I, I don't disagree with that at all. I don't feel like when Pat Hayden made the hire, he did it because he expected Clay Helton to win the Rose Bowl the next year. I don't feel that at all. It, it almost felt like, can you maintain it and keep it positive because you've been a positive influence. And that's why I think initially we were taken aback that they went in this direction because it didn't feel like you were picking a guy that you expected to win not only a conference title, but eventually a national title. And so now it's like we're holding a standard against him that he has to win the Rose Bowl or get into the Rose Bowl to keep his job when I don't even feel like he was hired under those pretenses. I, I'm a, I completely agree with you. I just think that, you know, it, at least for me, if I'm, if I'm running a major organization like USC football and you can kind of hire a bunch of guys, you know, a lot of people want that job. You're hiring somebody that's, a, that's not a name and they just went into the Pac-12 title game, I would think, hey, I'm keeping you, and you better improve. 
you know, you better because I'm part of the reason why I'm keeping you is you went to that title game or whatever, and and now I want to win it. You know, and I feel mm-hmm. like this roster can do it, and I feel like you, you know, making a change would hurt this roster, and this would all fly through my head. So mm-hmm. I would just hope and think that it went through somebody's head. Um, you know, I know that they, they did bring up that they that they kept him around, you know, to continue to keep some continue it whatever they said something like that you know it wasn't necessarily kind of thank you not necessarily to win but to keep him you know to keep the team kind of going in the same direction so i would just think that going in the same direction means that uh you're eventually winning you know that title game that you lost or whatever competing for it again or something yeah i haven't seen that from them at all so yeah i mean i think at minimum he has to get back into the pac title game but uh, you know we're just talking here but well the early reaction I, I on drew's I post, he has to win it the early reaction on drew's post on the board is if of course if he wins out then you probably keep him unless yeah. somebody like a tom herman or somebody of that nature is uh, available and interested then you well he's available uh, the thing is with with usc almost everybody's available well, right. i mean nick saban's not available and urban meyer's not available but i want to say that more than 95% of the college coaches in America and even probably a few NFL coordinators and coaches are available. They would take the job. And that's why people are impatient and they want to move on because they feel like with Helton, it's a low ceiling. But USC is not going to pick a guy and then just quit on him a couple weeks into the season now. <laughs> uh, if you would have lost badly on Saturday night, I don't know if that's completely true. To be honest, no. I think, he that, I think was, the, that was a that was a, a reference to Max Brown. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, anyway, but to your point, but to that point, I still think that the pressure could have been on. Well, some people mentioning Sean Payton. I don't know why we would think Sean Payton would be an amazing college coach. He had some college background way before he went to the Eagles. They would the win so coach. much. They would win so much with Sean Payne. It wouldn't even. Well, of course, they win a national they, title with Sean. Yeah, Payne. they'd be like really. I mean, we're already oh, yeah. that? Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, without question, he he won a Super Bowl, dude. Like he would, uh, yeah. he'd be one of the okay. ten best yeah. college coaches right away, and it's USC, and yeah. Okay. I, I see. I'm I'm one of these people that. I don't even think they need the Tom Herman or the Nick Saban or the Urban Meyer. I think they could pick just about anybody that's a, that runs a top 25 program. I think Larry Fedora at North Carolina, you know, Bob Stoops, who's on the hot seat. I think Les Miles would work. They, I think they could get a lot of guys. And now, how does a really, defense really good bounty on kids' heads, how does that go in the NCAA? Do they like it that or do they frown upon that? Um, well, no, they're happy because it gives them something oh, to okay. do so they can justify their existence. Oh, okay. So putting a bounty on a kid's so, head is okay. Good okay. thing. Good okay. thing. Good, good, good. about paying college players? How do you think they feel about it? <laughs> uh, We've gone too far well, again. Yeah. Alex Bow on the board, thank you very much for telling me or giving me some sympathy because of my wisdom teeth. Alex Bow says he had six wisdom teeth pulled. That's a lot of wisdom teeth at once. I didn't even know you could have that many. Yeah, there are. There's six in your mouth. Very rarely uh, do six ever come down. But, uh, you know, way back when, when we were cavemen, who knows what we ate? And we needed those extra wisdom teeth. We don't need them now. I only had one pulled, although this one was really bad, and there was an infection, and horrific. It still hurts. But I, I need to have a couple more pulled, actually, over the next year or so. So... 
But take care of your teeth, kids. Take care of your teeth. That's you, all. Thank you for the tip, Well, I already gave the tip on Friday, but yes. Uh, it's no fun. No fun to have to deal on with. On that podcast that no one heard. <laughs> well, actually, let's actually, we can look at the numbers. I think uh, a thousand people listen to it. Oh, wow. So, Thank you, everyone. Uh, anyway. Oh, kids, I think that feel, I feel like we're wrapping, we can wrap it up for our Sunday night, Monday morning too. extravaganza. Chris, yeah. uh, how long do you think the Max Brown segment will be next week? Should we, <laughs> I think I want to take the over-under on hey, that. Hey, however long Adam will continue to fight with me, since we don't really disagree about anything. If they lose, if they lose to the buffs, though, I have a feeling oh, Max Brown, oh, yeah. that could go If Darnold throws one interception <laughs> and they lose, then Chris will be ready to pull him. He'll physically pull him off the field and push Max out back onto the field. It's hilarious because I've never said anything except that I think Sam Darnold's the better quarterback. But, well, you know, whatever. Enjoy the rest of your week, kids. We will talk to you in a few days with our message board show, which will go as scheduled unless another wisdom tooth gets impacted and infected. Um, and then our Friday extravaganza. Enjoy the week. Be sure to tune in to Keyshawn's new radio show on 7, 10 a.m., morning 6 to 9. Be sure to subscribe to Trojansports.com if you don't already. Or search us out on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Always available on Audio Boom and going to Trojansports.com. Click the other button. Scroll down. We're always there. Trojansports.com. Kids, anything else? No, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. At Out J Maya, at Crispy Swanson, at CMM Spectrum. We'll talk to you in a few days, kids. Rack me. I'm out. Bye. Bye-bye.